Welcome to the Raised with Jesus podcast, 10 minutes every day where life of Jesus meets yours. You've got your daily Bible reading today from 1 Timothy chapter 6. And before we get into 1 Timothy chapter 6, we have talked a lot about Gnosticism in the past few past few readings over the past week. Gnosticism is basically the false belief that Timothy is probably dealing with here at Ephesus. We know that it sprung up in and around Ephesus um, toward the end of the first century and beginning of the second century. And we could get into all the details about it, but we've done that already. I think what we need to see and we need to understand, especially as we conclude this book today, is that Gnosticism primarily asserts that my desires and my wishes and my emotions and my wants all are more true than anything external to me. Gnosticism says follow your heart rather than follow the the structure and follow the writings that are outside of you. Gnosticism says that if you want to know what is true, then look inside. And you can kind of see the effects of that, that there is no such thing as a sin within one's own mind or within one's own heart because Gnosticism asserts that anything you feel in your mind or in your heart isn't actually sin. It's actually true. And then consequently, there is no such thing as sin of the body. There's no such thing as a physical sin because you can't do anything wrong with your body because the body isn't inherently good. And therefore, therefore, because the body is itself bad, therefore, anything you do with the body is good. Because either A, it doesn't matter, or B, you end up hurting your body. And that's kind of the end goal, to be free of the body. It's really a repackaging of some old Greek philosophy that, um, that is really confusing, especially if you start reading into it. And so we won't talk about that today. But the important part that we recognize is that when Paul writes to Timothy here, he doesn't get into all the details of, of um, the do's and the don'ts and what is wrong. He gives Timothy enough guidance so that Timothy directs people's eyes and hearts back to the objective, unchanging, external Word of God, this Word of God that is trustworthy and unchanging, and that has implications for how we live our lives, that the Word of God guides us in how we are to live lives according to God's law, in love for God and for neighbor, and the effects on the relationships that we have. Anyway, 1 Timothy chapter 6 um, reads like this. All who are under a yoke of slavery should consider their own masters worthy of all respect, so that God's name and his teaching may not be blasphemed. And those who have believing masters should not be disrespectful toward them because they are brothers. Instead, they should serve them even better, because those who benefit from their good service are believers and dear to them. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches different doctrines and does not devote himself to the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Instead, he has a morbid craving for controversies and battles over words, things that produce envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant frictions among people whose minds are depraved, who have lost hold of the truth, imagining that their godliness is a means of financial gain. Separate yourselves from such people. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we certainly cannot take anything out. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be satisfied. Those who want to get rich 
fall into temptation and a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge them into complete destruction and utter ruin. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. By striving for money some have wandered away from the faith, and have pierced themselves with many pains. But you, O man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called, and about which you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who made a good confession as a witness before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this command without spot and without fault, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which you will make known at the proper time, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or is able to see. To him be honor and power forever. Amen. Instruct those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant or to put their hope in the uncertainty of riches, but rather in God, who richly supplies us with all things for our enjoyment. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share. In this way they are storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, turning away from godless empty talk and the contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have veered away from the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. And so as Paul concludes this letter, um, he's got... He's got a little bit about, in this chapter, which he had talked about at the last chapter as well, a little bit about how do we live in relationship with one another. And when we talk about slavery and we talk about servanthood, um, it's, a, it's a different context and a different setting than slavery in, and its connotation here in North America. But it was more of a business arrangement between the person who was the worker and the person who was the employee. It wasn't, it wasn't quite the same as an employer-employee relationship, but it wasn't the, um, the equivalent and the connotation of slavery as we have come to know it and understand it in, in our country and our history. But the attitude between the master and the slave or the servant is one of mutual respect because they're working with Christians. I mean, Christians always ought to and always strive to teach others with or to treat others with respect. And the same thing is true here, even more so, that you recognize that the one who benefits from your service is a brother or sister in the Lord. And then Paul talks a little bit about greed. <laughs> he talks about these false teaching and false teachers and greed. And that's kind of the ironic part that these people who would deny the reality of sin. And these people who would say that their desires are the truth are the same people who would say, now give me all your money so that I can make use of it and, and abuse my body through excess. You know, give me your, your, so I can have a billion dollars and have my own jet and then I can abuse my body by, by flying around and being jet lagged. You know, it's almost as, almost as ridiculous as that. Not quite, but, uh, but Paul really highlights that that this sort of greed is going to mean create constant friction and envy, strife, abusive language, and um, and it's not a good not a good outcome. He says rather, godliness with contentment is great gain. 
And that's, that's really the reality, that among all the other things that Paul could say about the use of money and the attitude toward uh, financial riches or financial blessings, the bottom line is godliness with contentment, that your Christian faith is something that lasts forever. Whereas the, the money, the, the Bitcoin, the, uh, the stock options, the 401k, 403b, those things will eventually come to an end. And, you know, maybe sooner rather than later. But that relationship among believers and the faith that we share, the faith which we profess, is something that lasts forever. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And so it's that relationship to our money which really he speaks to here that relationship and that attitude toward our money, recognizing that the Lord is the one who gives us our blessings, and especially that the Lord is the one who provides for us each and every day. There is every reason to be content. And so finally, as, he, as Paul wraps up this letter, uh, you, O man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. You recognize he's saying, run away from these things and run toward those things. He's saying, run away from, um, run away from this greed, run away from this false teaching, this false knowledge. But also, you're not just being aimless. Run after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. And that is the fight of faith. That is the effort in pursuing the truth of Jesus Christ. That even though, even though Jesus has done everything for our salvation, and we can add nothing to our salvation, at the same time, we want to, we want to pursue good works and a godly attitude in order to give glory to God, and so that we aren't distracted and led astray by these false teachings, whatever they may be. Because Gnosticism comes around again, it never really truly disappears. All it does is try to distract people from the authority of God's word on their lives. But whatever the case may be, whether it's Gnosticism or some other false teaching, whether it's um, cultural forces or, you know, worries of this world and concerns of this life, any of those things, any of those things could be a suitable lever to try and pry us away from Jesus. And so what Paul says here to Timothy, he says to you and to me, dear friend, dear brother or sister in Christ, flee from these things, but you're not just running away aimlessly. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith and take hold of the eternal life to which you are called. And so as you go about your day, take a moment to say a prayer that God would um, keep our eyes and our hearts focused on him and on his blessings, and on, secondly, on his objective truth, which is external to us, and it is greater than our hearts, his unchanging word, which provides us a clear and reliable guideline for how we are to live in this world, and this word of God, which most of all shows our Savior where he correctly diagnoses our sin. And this Jesus Christ, the Son of God in the flesh, died to carry your sin and mine. Thanks so much for joining us here at the Raising with Jesus podcast. Tomorrow, we will get into our next book of the Bible. We will be looking at the book of Titus, chapters 1, 2, and 3. Thanks so much for joining us. God bless your day.